my friend Ron. You guys remember uh, Buddy and I went on sabbatical, right? And uh, when we went on sabbatical, we went up, we just went all over Nova, Nova Scotia. We just decided to take a Canada trip. It's just kind of how we roll. We don't know what we're doing next. We just do it. So we went to Canada, Nova Scotia, uh, up into Prince Edward Island where Annie of Green Gables, that whole thing. And uh, Buddy, the first night, we said we really didn't have hotel reservations. So we said, let's do Airbnb. <laughs> okay. So Buddy got the first night. We had a great experience. The second night was my turn to go online and find one. And we happened to find this lovely, uh, we were kind of said, we want to go up into Prince Edward Island. It is Prince Edward Island, right. And uh, there, so how can we find a place that we go, it was on our track there. And uh, there's this little town called Sackville. And so I looked Sackville up and found this lovely home in this little college town. And so we went, uh, and the innkeeper there, she was a lovely lady. Her name was Janice, happened to be Ron's wife. And uh, so the next, we spent the night there. It was a beautiful place. And uh, the next morning, we got up to this. Blueberry pancakes, blueberries that were uh, indigenous up in there. Uh, we had, uh, and that's just, those, those, Eggs were the fluffiest eggs I think I've ever <laughs> eaten. And Janice had done that. Uh, she works for the Kidney Foundation. So at 9 o'clock, she had to go to work in her office in the back of the house. And in the meantime, this lovely man walks in. And uh, we learned to know him. We started talking. And, you know, when, when you go Airbnb and when we travel, we kind of hesitate to tell people that we're pastors because the moment we tell people we're pastors, they start acting different. You know, they don't cuss anymore. And <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, you don't have to be any different. We're still the same people. So sometimes you just kind of talk around things. And as we were talking with Ron, uh, we could tell that this guy had been in ministry, and uh, and we began to talk, and we just connected right away. And of course, his his wife, we just enjoyed talking with her. But she was at work now, and he had come in through uh, the night, or he worked at night, and came in the next morning, and that's when we were talking, and just connected right away, and uh, found out that Ron had uh, done ministry in Montreal for 20 plus years out in the streets. He's a street worker with homeless and poor people. And uh, what an incredible ministry. You'll hear more about that this morning. But when, this, uh, when we knew we had this weekend coming up with missions, uh, he's been on the mission field in the streets of Montreal. We said, why not bring Ron? Now we had no clue, never heard him speak, but we <laughs> knew that this was a guy that was just very real. Uh, just had connected at a level that was really, really special. And so I'm excited for you to hear from him today. I mean, this is just how Buddy and I roll. We met him and we asked him to come. So here he is, right? <laughs> and that's how we are here at Salem Field. So would you make Ron feel welcome? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bonjour. Bonjour. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, as, as Buddy and Gay came to come up to our, our neck of the woods and we got a chance to meet them, you know, you know it was just one of those special moments. Y you know Buddy and Gay. It doesn't take forever to kind of connect. They're just so warm and loving and it, within a matter, I think of minutes, it was just uh, we had clicked and it looked like we had, I was with some 
longtime friends. It was really, it was, a, and so the other thing that after the breakfast finished, we probably continued talking for a, a few hours. And I started feeling a little guilty because I thought they have a day of sightseeing planned, and here I am just talking it up. But in reality, I think we could have spent the most of the day just at home doing coffee and chatting. I, I enjoyed their company so much. So, pardon me. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd look after lunch, sure. Um, so I was really, you know, then all of a sudden I got a text message back in, se in September saying, Buddy really was reaching out to me saying, oh, we do this sort of missions thing and uh, around Thanksgiving, and we're just wondering if you can come up and share with the community. And uh, I was just thrilled <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> I thought... Gosh, he would have thought of me. He's, he's never heard me speak before or, or ever. And it's like, yeah, come on down. Like, <laughs> so um, I got the data all together, and uh, you know, here I am today with you. So as Gay was saying, I spent uh, a few decades or more on the streets of Montreal, and uh, I just want to share with you some of the stories that were, were part of that journey. I hope you'd be encouraged by them. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we all come before you this morning, and I ask you specifically to fill me with your spirit. The things that I have written down here, I just ask you that you will just guide me to share what you have on your heart this morning. I thank you for each one that's here this morning, and I ask again to fill them with your spirit and to allow them to just taste your love and to see your beauty again. One more time, how special it is. We'll, we will be talking about hope this morning, and I just pray that you will uh, fill our hearts with hope. As we look at sort of unleashing hope on this world as the theme of this weekend, um, not only that, but if there are any folks that are here this morning, I pray that are feeling hopeless, or feeling confused and just battered by life itself. I pray that you will allow this time to be a time of encouraging and to really bring back some of that hope. All these things we can't, I can't do without you, so I pray that you will be really present here this morning. Thank you for all the blessings that you give. Amen. Again, I have to just share with you, last night when I first spoke to the folks that were here. As I was walking through the door, I just had finished a prayer time, just getting ready to come up here. And I, hadn't, I haven't been up front in front of folks for quite a few years now, or well, it's been a while. And so I was a little bit nervous. You know, you're, you're up here, there is a little nerves that kind of kick in. Maybe not with Buddy, I don't know, because he's a real pro at it, I don't know. But you know, for somebody like me, um, and as I walked through the doors feeling, you know, I had a lot on my mind. There was so much I wanted to share, and, you know, I can get a little bit overwhelmed sometimes with that. My good friend, my phone went bleep. I had a message coming in, and I want to read what he shared with me. As I'm walking through the doors reading this, he says, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill Ron, fill him with your words, your might, your love, that he would be used by you to bless and motivate others along. 
I pray that you would protect them from thoughts of insecurity and any kind of fear. I pray a wall of protection around him from anything the evil one would send his way. Anoint him tonight and tomorrow. Thank you, Father, for listening and for loving us. Amen. Like, that's a really good thing to walk into with that. I came up here. I was, okay, things are going to be okay. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, I tell you. It's been a great weekend, which is going by really fast. Um, I want to share with you some of the, my, my memories. And I remember the first year on the missions field and, and how, we, how we were both filled with the joy of serving God. And we had finally arrived to the, the mission field. And here we were. And that first year was filled with so many challenges and many blessings. But what stands out the most in my mind is how I really blew things that first year. You see, I was so excited to serve God that I, we moved to Montreal and ministry, I walked into that place and there were, there were many needs like in a lot of other big cities and all of a sudden the ministry just took over and it was pulling me into ministry with all the needs and anybody could call me at any time with any sort of request and I would be accepting it. I thought serving God was just a 24-7 thing. So I was being pulled on that side. But on the other side was my family, my wife and two young children that were saying, we need you too. You see, the society was a new culture, a new language, and they had no friends and no family support. And I had left them to fend for themselves. You see, the joy of being involved in ministry was totally intoxicating. And I was completely hooked. After all, I thought to myself, this is God's work. But then really shortly after, I just started feeling really overwhelmed and started asking questions like, why is my life so unbalanced if I'm serving God? Or why is Janice so unhappy? Or even to the point like, why doesn't she understand what God is doing. <laughs> That's when things started to, you can see, start to break down a little bit. <sighs> then I start, I start seeing my life as a, a garden. And um, I, I start hearing God talking to me saying, Ron, I know that you love me. I know that you want to serve me. But if you really want to follow me, I need to start doing some weeding in your garden. You see, Janice and I were relatively new believers, and to be on the missions field as young believers, we had a whole history before we were saved. And so I think that God was saying, oh, you want to be my ambassador, then I need to kind of get you on, up to speed on what's really kind of going on here. A lot of people that saw us in the church thought that maybe the process of us being new believers actually winding up on the mission field, they figured, they said, something is going on because that, that time seemed to be quite short compared to what others would have taken with that. Anyhow, there we were. You see, we were, we were saved in the delivery room with my firstborn. Janice and I both 
felt and were just transformed in the delivery room. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, but a good one. And then he started pulling. Well, the thing was that the weeding, it's not the weeding that I minded. It's the way that the roots were so deep on some of those weeds that when he yanked them out, my garden just had these massive holes in them. And the weeds were so deep that they were connected. The, the roots were connected to my identity and my personality. So in no time, I was just like, who the heck am I? Actually, to what am I doing? And in that time of confusion, I remember one specific supper time when Janice and I were sitting at the table, and I looked over at her and I said, honey, I don't know who you are anymore. And she looked right back at me and kind of stood up and she said, you don't know who I am. I don't know you. Here we were in this place with no family support, no nothing. And the woman that I loved, that I had been married to for seven years, we had two beautiful children together sitting across from the table, table and I didn't even know her anymore. Those were pretty interesting times for our marriage, as you can imagine. The only thing that we had left to hang on to at that time was that we could not, either one of us, come to believe that Jesus would have had us sell our home, everything we own, quit our jobs, all this, to come to the missions field to split us up. That was the only thing that we had. So both of, had, both of, both of us had one thing in common, that was it, and that's all we were hanging on to. There was no way that we could imagine that. We had tasted the love of Christ. We knew his power. We thought, no, wait, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. That's when things started to happen quite, uh, it was, uh, an amazing thing to start happening. I, our hope team, folks that loved us dearly, that had financially supported us and, and prayerfully sent us to the mission field, I mean, we were really connected. And that's when things, you know, started to, we, we just started to feel that love. Because my initial thought was like, oh, I know all these folks that are back home kind of supporting us, but that's 3,000 miles away. They don't, that was my first lesson that I had in hope and, and redemption. That was a place where I was able to realize that hope had no distance limitations. It can go from one place to another. It is not limited by anything. That's where I started understanding and feeling the beauty of being involved in a community. That's where I received forgiveness. And that's where I started to understand what God was really having to do in me. You see, to bring the good news to the world, there is just so much that is required. It's actually not a one-person show. It takes a whole bunch of us all together working on this for that to go on. As a young man coming into missions, I was just so filled with so much energy, and I was just going to do amazing things. And there was nothing that I couldn't do. My heart 
was in the right place, but my mind was still in the world. You see, Jesus had other plans. He didn't want me to be successful and productive for him. He wanted me to be fruitful and loving. You see, if I go back to the, 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 the Last Supper and Jesus is there with his disciples, and so what does he do? He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and then he gives the bread. And as my life wanting to follow him in missions, that was just became really clear that that process was taking place. Now, I love, I love to be taken by God, and I love to be blessed by him. That wasn't the problem. It's the breaking part. That's the thing that really sort of opens your eyes up and says, well, well wait a minute, uh, you know. I believe that that's probably the most important part of the four things. You see, it was I was going to serve God. The I was really too big. The sentence was kind of okay, but there was too much focus on the I. I was going to work for the Lord. Well, in fact, the reality is I was the work. You know, the, the whole thing with salvation, it's such a beautiful moment. And when you feel the love of God and Jesus coming really close into your life and hugging you, and it's so intimate and it's so personal. And then that glowing, you're basking in the glowing light. And it just seems like it's you and Jesus. And really, you don't see anybody else around. It's a real intimate moment between you and him. But then what does he do right after? What did he do with me? He led me into community right away. He didn't say, Ron, uh, you know, keep this all for yourself. Because I, I'm not supposed to go on this journey alone. And I'll be, I'll be reading a few things here. We can replace the pronoun I and I can say we. I am no longer spiritually self-sufficient. I desperately need community because that's how God created me. Because he knows that I am too fragile and too vulnerable to so many things like temptation, like criticism, like pride. I can't be on my own, but all of my weakness is wrapped up in his love because he really doesn't want to lose me in the battle. He doesn't want to lose us in the battle. That's why we are here together. That's why it's so important. And when all this was kind of going on and I was learning all these things, my loving friends back home were praying for my family and me nonstop. They, had, they knew about what was kind of going on because we were, we were letting them know what, that we were really not doing well and that a lot of these things were going on and we were really connected. And they started... They were praying nonstop around the clock. I used to say that we were smothered in prayer. 
That's a lovely place to be, actually. Maybe not to get there when you're really confused, but when you feel smothered in prayer, that's a good thing. I used to say back at that time that it was like I had a bank machine for prayers and people were depositing their prayers in my machine all the time. They were keeping it full and I was withdrawing them daily. That's how I was surviving. You see, they understood the importance of what it was to support us financially, Absolutely, because that's, how, that's what got us there, and that's what kept us clothed and fed. But also, the, what was really important as well was the prayers and the hope, because that's what surrounded us and protected us and directed us in those moments. That's what kept us going. That was, that's what, what was allowing us to go to take on anything that we would encounter. You see, the blessings, I think, are reciprocal because as we pray for others and as we bring hope into the lives of others, I think we receive some back. I think that's who we are. I think having hope like that and being able to give, share it with others, the giving is in the receiving, and basically they're kind of really connected like that because in Corinthians, uh, pardon me, in John uh, where am I here? In John 15. Uh, pardon me. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm kind of shifting it up this time around. It's part of our DNA. This place is a place of hope. Christ is our hope. We have something that... It's... It, our character, it's part of our Christian character is to be hopeful. It says right at the end in this, in this lovely verse and passage, it says, at the end of things, in some, in, in some uh, translations it'll say, and these three, three things remain. At the very end of all times or in all things, where all things that come together, there's three things that are going to be left over from what I read in this. Hope, faith, hope, and love. Everything else is gone. We have those three things that we can count on. When we're with God, that's what's going to be there. And so we are hopeful. And so this is, this is in our DNA. So as we bring that out, we can realize, we can kind of say, that's who we are. It's being able to express our true selves into this world. So to give it is to, you're getting something back in return, I think. So as a community, you do play such a key role in all of this bringing of hope in, in this, in this uh, theme of the weekend, unleashing hope. Like I say, it takes all of us to bring this hope. So there's a beautiful opportunity for each one of us. We're not, not all called to the mission field. But you know, anybody here we can take our gifts and we can bring them and put them to use into the community and that's what's gonna make it happen. You see, at the very beginning of, of uh, ministry when I started out, again, one of those talks with God, I, uh, I said, God, you, you know that I love you 
you know, that whole delivery room experience was something that literally blew me away. I'm sure that your conversion experiences, you all have things, wonderful things to share as well. It literally blew me away. And I, I came out of there, and I was amazed at what had taken place. And I said, God, you know I love you. You know I'll follow you anywhere. You know, I, I'd love to be able to say that me and my family will follow you and we will just live on air so that we won't cost anything, we won't need any resources, we just want to serve you. But the reality is, if I, if I want to go on the missions field, but if I can make it to the missions field, you need to supply my family's needs. And he did. And much more. And how did he do it? through community. That's a precious thing that we can't, you know, I cannot forget how close we are together here. I met Brett Brent at my church. His mom attended there, and he would come every so often, and she wanted for me to meet him because he was a drug user. And he lived some of his time on the street, and she knew what I did. She was, she was a lovely, lovely lady. She was, she was dying of cancer, and she knew her time was near. And her faith in God and, her, and the love for her adopted son was inspiring to me. She would give him money on Sunday morning so that he could come to church, because otherwise he would be out doing shoplifting to support his habit. A lot of people questioned her on that. I just thought that love was amazing because she had faith that if he could just come and be at church, that things would change. That was her faith in God. I met him, and she actually passed away later on that same year. And Brent and I, we developed a pretty good relationship. I would see him once in a while at church, but, and then I would bump into him on the street because there's a certain area in Montreal where the, 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 a lot of the, the, the stuff happens over the people that live on the street. And I, I remember there were moments when all of a sudden this six foot two native man, striking good-looking guy, long, black, flowing hair, and then there was me next to him, whatever, um, that we could meet up sometimes. I would meet up with him at night, and he would literally be, uh, he would break down, and I would be holding, he would be crying in my arms because life on the street is not very hopeful. Actually, despair is always really close by. My dad spent his last years struggling with cancer too. And finally I got the call to come home. I went home and he died in my arms the next day. I spent a week or so with my mom just kind of being with her and supporting her through this loss and just kind of trying to get through this. I went back to Montreal and wound up on the street again. But things were different now. I think the last thing that my dad gave me as a gift as he was leaving this world was that he took away this armor and this crust, this protective shell that I had developed over 
more than a decade to, he just kind of took it with him. So when I got back to the street, I was like as if I, when I first arrived like 14 years earlier, I was just like fresh meat on the street. I was seeing things that I had experienced and had been living with for over a decade like that. And I was seeing people that I knew and I knew the, the, the heart and the pain that was in there and I was going in there and because I didn't have any protection, no defense mechanism or, or something, everything was just hitting me. Like they were just coming, it was coming at me. And I started getting like panic attacks and I thought, this is, this ain't right. When those things were happening with me, I would just resort back into this kind of retreat mode. And like I used to tell people before that, I said, you know, I know certain parts of the city so well that I can, I'm going to, dis I could disappear. If I was with you, I could go downtown, I could disappear and you would not find me. I just know the area that well. I knew all the little back alleys and stuff. And here I was, I was in that disappearing mode and I was disappearing. So I started in that, in a, when I got back, it didn't take very long. I started crying out to God. I said, God, what, what's happening here? I'm more in disappearing mode than I am in visible mode. And I started thinking, is this a sign? Are you telling me that my time is up on the street? Is, I better move on here. I started getting, feeling really depressed and, and uh, I started retreating back not only from the street and things that were going on there, but all of a sudden things started becoming really personal. I started retreating from my loved ones and my, deep, my dear friends and I kept on thinking, oh, they're not understanding what I'm living right now. And I was just going, I was in retreat mode. I was in depression mode. I lived downtown, or I lived downtown in Montreal. And every week I used to go out on prayer walks. Friends would show up at my house, and we would go into the area that I worked in for most of the week, one, one evening during the week, and we would just kind of cover it with prayer. We would pray for the folks that are in there. We would pray for the hope of God to be present. We would pray against the oppression of such a place that was filled with so much addiction, and sometimes you could cut the air of oppression, we felt like there was walls in this area, but there was a lot of pain and suffering. So we would go and we would pray, have a prayer walk. So all of a sudden, here comes this January night. I had been back from my father passing on in the early part of uh, maybe a few, a few months while I was back, and things weren't really good. I had been questioning all of these things, and realizing that maybe my time was up because you see the, 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 the stats would show that somebody doing things that I was doing probably had a life, a five-year lifespan, and here I was almost 15 years into it. So I was pretty cooked up. Anyhow, go, getting ready for the prayer night, nobody shows up, not one of my friends show up. I thought, hmm, this is really good. And I, and then, and I thought, no, I'm not going to go. And then, then I thought, no, I just can't go on anymore. I am exhausted. I am spiritually drained. My emotions are gone. Or as my good friend Rick used to say, your well's dried up. It was dried up. 
Anyhow, I decided that I would go on this walk. And as I left the house, I cried out again to God, and I said, God, I'm going on this prayer walk tonight, and I'm telling you, I need a sign. You know my heart, you know who I am, you know I love you, but if I don't get a sign tonight, I will not be here in the morning. I will take that as you want me to be off the street. I am gone. Give me a sign. I need a sign tonight. I don't know if that's... Anyways, if I should have done that. Anyways, (laughs) maybe not with that tone of voice anyhow. (laughs) Anyhow, I left the house and I went on my prayer walk. So I went down into the area, went into the inner city and went down some of the, you know, more nasty streets or whatever and prayed and everything, and, I'm, and I made the turn, and I'm on my way back home now, and I'm about five blocks away from my home. I'm still in sort of the downtown core, but I live pretty close by. So I'm starting to think as I'm praying, hmm, I'm five blocks away. I still don't have a sign. I'm five, you know, I'm five blocks away. As I'm getting closer, I'm thinking, God, you know, like, what's happening here? So as I'm walking down the sidewalk, and on, on one of these street corners, the building is really close to the sidewalk. So you, the, the, the street that was coming down across it, the sidewalk would be there. So literally, you had to walk along the sidewalk and almost like peek around the corner to see the other sidewalk coming down because the building was right on the corner like that. So I'm literally, literally praying, thinking, gosh, I got five blocks left. Lord, five blocks left. And I literally bump into Brent was coming down the other side. I didn't see him. And we literally, literally our paths just kind of poof. So I look at Brent. And I hadn't seen him for a while. Actually, the, the real interesting part of that was when I had given all my demand and asked of God as I left the house and I started walking towards the downtown area. There was a picture of Brent's face that come into my mind. And I thought, gee, I haven't, I haven't seen Brent for a while because after his mom passed away, he wasn't coming to church much after that. And he had witnessed somebody getting killed in, in downtown and the, he was kind of in hiding and there was all this, I hadn't seen him for months anyhow. And as I left home, I thought, hmm, I wonder how Brent is doing. I haven't seen him for a while. Went on my walk. So all of a sudden, we bump into each other. So I, I look at him, and uh, by, not, by then, I'm a little bit frantic. So it's like, kind of haven't seen you for a while. I have nothing to say to you, Brent. I have nothing to say to you tonight. You have something to tell me. You have something to tell me. Tell me something, Brent. Tell me something. I need something. And he's looking at me like, what's going on? And then I explained to him that my father had passed away a few months earlier that I had come back to the street, that I was exhausted and emotionally and spiritually drained, that I had cried out to God before coming onto that prayer walk, and that I was looking for a sign, and Brent, you need to tell me something. So he was just like, sort of took a, like, a, a step back like this, and, and, and uh, he started speaking to me. He started ministering to me. He started talking to me about how great of a dad I had, how he must have been such a great man because he had had a son like me. He started ministering to my heart and he was lifting me up. And then he started talking about after Helen, after his mom had passed away, 
how lost he was, how, how he struggled with that because the family never really had initially accepted him. And now that she was gone, there wasn't really a whole lot of ties there anymore. He was really not going to church anymore. He, wasn't sent, he, was, he was lost and he was starting to connect and he was sharing, sharing with me how he really dearly missed her. But the thing that was in that was that in his pain, he was reaching my pain and massaging, or do, he was doing something amazing with me. He was acknowledging something in me and I could feel myself after a while being lifted up he, was, he had taken my soul. He was lifting it up to God. And then the little, the little sort of in, uh, other part of the story is that he was down in that part of town because it was a rough part of town. He was down there to score some drugs, you see. He hadn't been in town for a while. He was back in town. He had some buddies that were kind of coming and whatever, and he was going to score. So all of a sudden, we're all into this intense kind of sharing moment. And I hear a voice behind me. He says, hey, Brent. So Brent looks over and goes, oh, gosh. Stay here, Ron. Don't move. Just stay here. I'm going to be a minute, okay? Don't move. So he runs across the street. He does his little dealings and everything. He comes back to see me. And we start talking a little bit again. But see, his friends that were there for the evening, that were in the woodwork someplace, they saw what had take, probably taken place. I, they weren't with him when I first met him. All of a sudden, he was back with whatever he had, and they were out of the woodwork. So all of a sudden, within like a split second, it seemed like there was three or four of us, and they're all kind of going, hey, Brent, how you doing? Hey, what are we doing now? Hey, like, let's, let's get on with the evening. You got it? And so I can't really share with you the response that he shared with them, but it was literally, back off. I need to talk to this guy here. This is really, I'll come and find you. Get a, just get away. I don't want to see you right now. I mean, there was a real spiritual battle raging there because when, when there's an addict with drugs that will say, I put that aside because there's this thing here that I am doing. It was an amazing sort of moment. Anyhow, he kept on, we kept on talking. And he kept on ministering to me. And he lifted me right up to heaven. And I don't remember a whole lot of that last part of the conversation. I actually don't remember from that moment on to when I got, got home. But I know. I don't remember taking a step. I think I literally floated from that moment. I floated home. I don't, I don't remember taking another step. He had lifted me up, you see. He was the sign. That guy was the sign that I had been crying for. He was the sign. He was the hope I needed. God used him to touch my heart to kind of say, Ron, I know you're struggling. I know your weakness. And I, here's Brent. He can use anybody for hope. We are created in hope. Everybody here, we are all filled with hope. We can all be used by God for that. It doesn't matter what age we are. It doesn't matter how curly our hair is. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. We are all wired for that. 
He can use us. Oh. It can be in totally unexpected places and unexpected people can do that. He can use anything. He can use me. He can, he can use you. And we, so when we put our, when we accept our individual roles and gifts and we put them to use in the community, the word of God comes to life. We hear so many lovely messages on Sundays and on different, we hear a lot of messages. And there's some of them that will really touch us deeply and will kind of inspire us. But when you take those words and you put them into action and when they come to life, there's just something amazing that happens with all of those words the message becomes really clear. My time on the street was filled with a lot of despair, but a lot of, with a lot of hope. People uh, were pretty amazing, and, and uh, I just have one little quick other little short story to share with you that it's, it's just coming to my mind, and I can't get it out of my mind. My friend Steve was one of those folks in the street that was not very, he wasn't very pleasant. He had a, some serious mental illness and uh, he thought he was different people and he was pretty loud and in your face and, and uh, quite a heavy drug user. And uh, I always found it really interesting. Our talks were always really interesting. I used to do a lot, well, different conferences where I would go to speak to people and sometimes what I would do, and I really liked doing that, is I would go to my friends on the street, especially if it was, if it was a conference to do with the street, and I would ask them, hey guys, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna be talking to a bunch of people, and, you know, um, a bunch of Christians, and if there was anything that you would think that I should say to them, why don't you give me a little, I'd like to talk with you, and I, I'll pass that on if you want me to. And uh, it was always pretty incredible some of the things that I would get from, from the, their perspective of what I was doing, of, of who I was sharing with. Anyhow, I asked Steve that question one day. I said, Steve, I'm going to be doing this, and what do you think? And, and it was going to be with a bunch of Christian workers. And uh, he said, Ron, he said, tell them that Jesus loves them. And he said, tell them that when I'm on the street panhandling and people walk by me and they treat me like un chien sale, a dirty dog, which is basically an expression to say, when I have this much dignity, somebody wants to come and take a hold of it and rip the last little bit of dignity that I have. When they treat me like that, for 25 cents or whatever that it is, he says, I've started to see them as a mirror that I look at myself and I know that there's a reflection that they're giving to me that's something that I need to be working on. 
and I see the face of Jesus, and I want to change, so he has given me this mirror because, Ron, you know what? There's only one way to God, and that is through humility. Here this broken man was telling me this. I felt it was like Christ speaking to me face to face. My time in Montreal was filled with great blessings in unexpected places. And when I, when I see and when I've connected with you guys, I am thrilled to be here this evening with you or this morning with you. It's been a sheer pleasure. And I want to really be, you know, I just hope and pray that you will be encouraged by that. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. I thank you, dear Lord, for all the blessings that you give us. I thank you for the way that you work in those places. And you know, when the least, where there's the least amount of hope, that's when a little bit shines so greatly. I thank you that in, in this place that is filled with hope, and as I'm getting to know Pete, the folks here in the community, your desire to share that hope, thank you for that. That is so desperate in this world that we live in. We just need it. We need you to be there. We are lost without you. Thanks for, for doing it. I'm just so amazed at your beauty and your love for each one of us. So today, again, for anybody that's looking for some hope, I just ask you that you will fill their hearts right now with all the blessings that you give each one of us. I pray personally that I will walk in a way that is worthy of receiving all these treasures. You have given me so many, it's like every breath I take is a gift. My life has been filled with them, so please allow me to walk in a way that is worthy of all these great treasures that you have given, that you have given me, that you give us. You know, Lord, as we get clearer with your message and we start putting into action, we can stand up together and we can shout with certainty that Jesus is alive. Thank you for all the blessings, Lord.